0: Happy New Year. I'm TechCrunch managing editor Daryl Etherington. This is the TechCrunch podcast where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, I talk with Kyle Wiggers about a few interesting AI announcements from CES, and Natasha Mascareñas comes on to talk about how tech workers are handling the mass layoffs we've seen in the past few months. But first, I'll break down some of the top stories in tech. Sony and Honda have revealed the brand name for their joint venture to create electric vehicles. The new automaker will be called Afila, which i feela is a terrible name. Sony and Honda aim to start pre-orders for Afila cars in 2025, with deliveries to the first buyers going out in 2026. You can read more about this on TC from Rebecca Bellin. FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr said recently that India set an incredibly important precedent in banning TikTok. Carr has repeatedly said that the U.S. needs to do the same, and reiterated that stance this week. Not only that, but Carr said that in general the U.S. should take more cues from India in getting rid of, quote, other nefarious apps as well. While TikTok is not banned in the U.S., last week the House of Representatives forbade its installation on any house-managed devices. More from Anish Singh on TechCrunch. OpenAI's ChatGPT AI chatbot has its first open-source alternative, but there's a catch. While anyone can download the open source tool, it comes in an uneducated state, lacking any training or the data required to train it. OpenAI trained the engine powering ChatGPT on 570 gigabytes of data and required plenty of compute power to achieve its current skill level. That's definitely out of reach for the average home hobbyist, but you can check out more on TechCrunch from Kyle Wiggers. Enterprise tech giant Salesforce announced it's laying off 10% of its overall workforce, or over 7,000 employees. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff said that overhiring during the pandemic was the main culprit for this move, particularly now that economic conditions are trending so negative. Meanwhile, Amazon announced it would be laying off 18,000 workers. Though given its global footprint, that's actually a relatively small portion of its overall workforce. More on this from Paul Sars on TC. First up, Kyle Wiggers comes on to go over some of the most exciting AI products that have been announced at CES. Hey, Kyle, how's it going?
1: Hey, it's going great, Daryl. Hope you had a good holiday season.
0: Oh, yes.
1: It's always uh, a pleasure to jump from New Year's into CES. <laughs> Right. Oh, it seems like it
0: gets closer every time. I don't know if that's just an illusion, but I feel like it's I mean it's really right up against the actual holiday this year, right? Like everybody comes back and then dive right in. It starts officially
1: When's the official first day? Yeah, I think the media preview was earlier in the mm-hmm. week. Yeah, yesterday sounds right to me. I don't know. I'm, right. I've, I've I been think you're right in the thick of it and <laughs> I, I'm losing track of the days already. So
0: right for sure. And by the time the show actually technically opens, as you mentioned, there's media day, but there's even more beyond that. That's like an official thing, but basically on our side, on the media side, people are talking to people. I mean, even into late last year and you know, well advanced to get all this stuff out there. And you've already created a roundup of the top AI-powered stuff that we've seen so far. And there's a lot there, again, just like, has the show technically opened. So yeah, it seems like AI was a, definitely a watchword of the show. Would you agree with
1: that? Uh, yeah, you know, the reason I, I did a roundup, there were a lot of little announcements that seemed interesting, intriguing, what have you, but didn't necessarily warrant a bigger story. And, and sure, some of the products in this roundup, it's a little nebulous regarding how exactly they're using AI, like how sophisticated the AI might be. But that being said, like some of the things that stood out to me as I was compiling this uh, were Samsung's new oven. I could see myself using it. Of course, it's absolutely expensive or will be. I don't think a price has been announced as I'm thinking this over. but. The bespoke AI oven is what it's called, very appropriately. And what it does is it uses like an internal camera and sensors to detect what you put inside it, and then adjust the cooking uh, settings, basically Mm. temperature, various other parameters. And then it'll alert you to if something goes wrong, if something's burning, God forbid. Another neat feature that's not AI related per se is it has streaming integration with like Twitch, which. I still don't completely understand the appeal there, but there right. might be like a subgenre of Twitch where that's all the rage. Um, people just setting up tripods in front of their ovens. So this will obviate the need for that. <laughs> wow,
0: yeah. yeah. That's like, so you could just stream your cooking process, but what would it, wait, yeah. what would it, so it's cooking, <laughs> can it stream? Yeah. Does it have a camera facing you as well? Can you do a double, like an inset of like, are you just watching and then in the oven maybe the cheesecake is rising or something?
1: <laughs> you might need another camera for that. Uh, okay. Maybe okay. Samsung will sell an accessory at some point. Yeah. But the yeah. demand is there. But no, I mean, again, there there might be some vastly popular, you know, subset of Twitch streamers that are already doing this. I I, I can't oh, I'm say sure I'm super familiar um <laughs> with the uh the Twitch landscape at this point. Right. Yeah, so another thing that stood out, and I think it was worthwhile to cover because some people own this hardware already, was NVIDIA's, uh, they're calling it RTX Video Super Resolution. It's this feature coming to existing GPUs, NVIDIA 30 and 40 series GPUs, that'll upscale existing videos as low as 360p in resolution up to 4K. So it's really, I'm sure it's going to be really great for like old YouTube videos that never got a remaster. And from what I've seen, I haven't tested it myself, but the coverage I've seen has been quite positive. Mm-hmm. Nvidia had basically a version of this in the Shield TV and Shield TV Pro.
0: I, so that I've yeah. seen, and I have a I have a Shield TV here too. When they introduced that, the little tube one, but yeah, it was impressive. It was very, like, and that was the demo they provided. This was CES. Well, the last one before the pandemic. That's another thing I will say for Nvidia is they do a really good job of like continuing to support, especially that hardware, like the Shield. TV is now quite old, you know, because that was four or five years ago or whatever that was for that CES. 2018, I guess. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, no, sure it was about 20 years. Right I I well, it was the one uh, be- before the pandemic. It was when we all went I and guess. probably a bunch of people got COVID, but didn't realize that it was COVID. At the oh, time. right. <laughs> um, yeah, whenever that was. Anyways, they showed me it and, and yeah, it is, it's quite impressive. And it does, like, specifically with, Older YouTube videos, like you said, it does a good job. I think they just use that demo because it's like something a lot of people will be exposed to as opposed to other stuff, right? But it's impressive and it's cool to see it coming to basically any video content being fed through a a 30 or 40 or any internet video content being fed through those serious GPUs.
1: That's cool. Yeah, not to digress too much, but I, I, I think it's just a fascinating application of the technology because we've seen... Over the past couple of years, as you know, this has been democratized, like super resolution AI. People like like remastering themselves, like old mm. uh, Star Trek episodes, and um, I mean, the copyright challenges around that stuff is um, their myriad. Right. I just think, and 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 video games. We've seen it in video games too. People taking textures in old games and and you know running them through AI to upscale them, basically without having to recreate the textures from scratch. So I think it's like. One of those applications of AI that's really useful, and people can immediately understand the value. Yeah, so you know, props to Nvidia for bringing it to existing hardware owners for free. I mean, Nvidia doesn't do everything right, but um, I, I have right. to give credit where it's due. Yeah, in terms of other stuff that stood out to me, there's a self-driving stroller. I think we have to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, we do <laughs> <laughs> So off of that, it is kind of pricey. Over three grand, but it has so many features, it was hard to list them all in um, a concise mm-hmm. format here. So it has sensors, including cameras around it that can detect obstacles on the pavement. So, you know, you don't run into anything that might upset your child. It has motors, of course, it's self-driving. So sure. when you're on a steep incline, those motors will kick in kind of like an e-bike and help propel the stroller uphill. When you're on a, on the other side of that hill, it has automatic braking that'll make the descent smoother. And then Mm -hmm. it also has like a rock my baby feature, they say. That's how it's described in the press release. Basically, it it sways the carriage back and forth on the stroller's wheels. It has a noise machine. It has like a companion app, you name it, any technology, it's in there. Wow. So honestly, I think it's pretty cool. Strollers are expensive to begin with. So I don't know if it's completely unreasonable. I think it's a little high, and and my friend who just had twins will be disappointed that there's no like dual carriage Double model. Version, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, some of the ideas here. I, I'm I'm eager to see them iterate on them, and and maybe Gen two will be a little bit more affordable and and refined. Um, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things where you see how a lot of the stuff they have in there could make its way down to less. I don't know advanced or tech enabled models and still provide a lot of benefit at you know half the cost or something or a fraction of the cost. So I think it is pretty cool as an aspirational product. I think the way you describe it in the article the what the last part where you're talking about how there's a companion phone app that tracks routes and distance and can locate it if it's lost combined with the fact that it's like self-driving <laughs> is to me hilarious like this i imagine the scenario of oh i I left my stroller i let my ella go and it just took i was on my phone or something and it took my kid away (laughs) but now i can use the app to to go find it so it's fine yeah i
1: I should mention um so the self-driving doesn't kick in or shouldn't when an infant is in the stroller basically it's self-driving alongside you while you're holding your child we'll have to see if uh if it actually um delivers on that promise, I don't know if it's prone to errors and, and might self drive regardless. If you wanted it to, <laughs> I don't think any parent would want that. <laughs> right, right. But if you wanna yeah. if you wanna get in there and hack
0: under the hood, I don't know, you might be able to make it work. But
1: yeah, again, yeah, you're, probably not the best. If you're trying idea. <laughs> to finish a Wordle, and you know, like, they just need both hands for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the last thing I thought was really interesting on this list is um, a pepper picking robot, and it's mm-hmm. kind of what it sounds like. There's a robot, and there are a lot of these agri tech robots out there now, but um, this is the first I've seen that can pick peppers. Yeah, it has cameras, sensors, all the typical things that you need to do. Comput- Computer vision, But basically, um, it was trained on the AI here was trained on a lot of images of peppers and pepper plants. And according to the press release, at least, um, this robot can identify peppers and exactly where to pick them so that they're not damaged and put them in a basket. It sounds really useful, especially at scale. I mean, the, the typical debates around what this is going to do to the agricultural workforce, of course, have to be considered. But small scale farms that maybe, you know, previously were limited by, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of manual labor, in terms of the volume that they could produce of peppers, I think it's a potential solution for them. Because the robot is relatively affordable from what I remember. I think it's in the range of between ten to $20,000, which could pay for itself over a number of yeah. years. Yeah, I, I think we'll probably see more of these in the future. I know there are a number of like strawberry picking robots that have been effective. It's been demonstrated they can actually work. We're seeing like robotics become more agile and sophisticated, especially with, when combined with these like computer vision algorithms. So it's just exciting to me from a technologist standpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I look forward to future models of this as well and what they might be able to accomplish here.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it looks like there always is going to be the labor discussion. But the company its a Japanese startup. And I think one thing specific to the Japanese market is there's a lot of like really small single family Farms all throughout the country, and like those will be tended by like a single grower or farmer or whatever. You know, maybe at most a couple, like a husband and wife or something. So, stuff like this could be immensely effective in helping out situations like that, right? Without necessarily affecting the overall labor market.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do want to be sympathetic, of course, to um, yeah, laborers. Yeah. Um But you know, on the other hand, I, I think the insights could be valuable too. That this robot provides. supposedly, it you know, as it as it gets acclimated to a farm it'll eventually start to predict crop volume and stuff and and suggest ways to improve it improve yield so you know the the picking itself aside i think any grower would want that information and uh you know right now i I don't know how they could get it beyond kind of complicated soil-based setups that require like a lot of sensors and maintenance yeah so yeah and and this can be retrofitted to existing farms which is another plus yeah in the grand scheme of things probably worth the investment depending on the size of the operation at least yeah, very cool. Yeah, so I mean,
0: that's just the sampling. There's lots more, I'm sure, going on and lots more to come as the show progresses. I mean, it's definitely being used as a buzzword to attract media attention as well. I've seen a lot of that in my inbox, but it seems like there's also a lot of genuinely good uses as a lot of this technology starts to mature and becomes more accessible and easier to do kind of with fewer resources. So super cool. And we'll keep an eye on that. But thanks so much, Kyle, for joining us. and. Yeah, I guess you know, go out there, write more, or at least have Chat GPT write more
1: <laughs> for you. No, <laughs> yeah, of course. That. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, never say never, but um, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait, you know, full sarcasm, to dive back into CES <laughs> and the madness that uh, that surrounds it. It was no. a pleasure though to take a break for a moment. <laughs>
0: Next, Natasha Mascarenas is talking about how tech workers are handling the mass layoffs we've seen in the past few months. Hey Natasha, how's it going?
2: Hey, it's going good. I'm feeling very twenty twenty three.
0: Is that good?
2: It's like the hopeful. I'm hopeful this week.
0: (laughs) I was like, it's hard to tell what that means anymore, but it's it's good if you're hopeful. Yeah.
2: I'm being vague. I'm being vague on purpose. How are you?
0: Great. Yeah. I guess I'm feeling 2023 too. Everybody can say that.
2: Exactly. It's like the best way. You're the only one who actually like understood that it didn't make any sense. Everyone else is like, you're so right.
0: (laughs) So we're back. back. TechCrunch is back. There's stuff going on all the time. You've got a great piece out that I know you were working on before, but it's timely read for sure. Yeah, And it's coming to terms with dealing with some of the layoffs and the fallout from that. I mean, we've now seen it Go on for quite a while, and it will continue to go on. And yeah. this week brought a fresh round of like high-profile layoffs. But you talked to some people specifically working at startups and how it's kind of changed their approach to the working world, I guess. But do you want to tell us more about that?
2: Yeah, it was very much inspired by the fact that like a lot of like these high-profile companies, Meta, Twitter, Stripe, Amazon, DoorDash, and I think this week it was Stitch Fix and Salesforce and, and more Amazon are all entering the job market at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of try and... Bust open the idea that everyone is kind of like this like Stripe engineer that's going to have a million offers and not be too stressed and kind of enjoy severance. I wanted to like try and see what talent is thinking about right now. And that's really where the story began. And then I ended up talking to these three people who I use pseudonyms for. And and it, it was a much more complicated story of people wanting to like figure out how to take their control back and think about risk, even though risk is super intertwined with how we think about startups.
0: It's interesting that like I was I think I asked you a question during the edit of like oh are they all synonymous or something but then when I read I was like oh I understand why but
1: yeah <laughs> it's, right. so, I mean it's,
0: yeah especially uh, Aaliyah from the first anecdote right but if you look at the layoffs like percentage wise it's not this the high flying engineers I'm sure right like it's got, the most of the people probably feeling the brunt of this, are people in marketing or sort of what is traditionally referred to as kind of soft skills departments and functions. And it's going to be a very different picture for them, right?
2: Yeah. Like I think it's customer success, recruitment and sales, which is kind of fits in customer success as well, are like the roles Mm -hmm. that are most impacted by layoffs. And so when I spoke to one person, Mary, she was saying how like she just crossed six figures after working in tech for years she finally could afford to max out her 401k and then she got kind of laid off five weeks after hitting that new milestone which she had been building towards for many years mm-hmm. and I, I think it to me it just like helped set it up because I think there's like this weird pressure and, and I think like this weird like stigma is probably the wrong word but People don't feel bad for people who are laid off in tech because they think they'll be yeah. fine. But she was like, you know, everyone's not walking away with a year's worth of runway in their pockets. And she comes from a family with uh, who, like, understands personal finance. They, But she wasn't prepared for this because, you know, she did all the right things. She asked hard questions during the recruitment process. And and still, even though the company seemed healthy, it, it still laid her off.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, her example was good. And it's, and it's also... I had a moment of, I don't want to say senioritis because I feel like that's
2: <laughs> oh ruined, God, kind that of, so
0: <laughs> but I was like, oh, six figures. That's great. Just making a lot. And then I was like, you know what? That's a lot from the context of like me thinking about the job market as like a young employee 20 years ago. Like I don't yeah. think it's that, it's, I mean, especially depending on what market you're living in. Like it's not. Totally that much anymore and you're right it's not going to leave you especially if you've just crossed that threshold you're not going to be like well i've got tons and tons and tons in the bank that i can just fall back on and kind of figure out my next move right whereas if you're an engineer that was in a highly competitive job market just two years ago or whatever and people were throwing i don't know what like half a million dollars at you or something like something ridiculous then sure you're going to have some money banked but right for people like mary it's going to be very very different
2: Totally. And I think like, even if we, I mean, money is so innate to this conversation and how someone Mm -hmm. thinks about their next job. But this other person I talked to, Sam was saying how like his worry is less about money and more about like, can I find a company in startups that is stable enough in a way that I'm, I guess not going to be worried about my job. And I think he's coming to terms with the fact that like a lot of the jobs that check his boxes as someone in finance are not companies that are mission driven or as exciting. So he was like, I just like if, even if I get an offer right now, he's lucky to be in a place where he's thinking about like, I'm struggling with even wanting to accept an offer because I'm not inspired, which is like, yeah. I think a more like, yeah, uh, maybe cultural question around like, if like the pitch of and, and where people just end up next is as enticing. It's not going to be as like flashy, I think.
0: Right. No, I think that's a that, that was a great point. And it also maybe reveals what a lot of people haven't thought about in what has been a very rosy bull market is that when you're looking at those trade-offs, What they really are is, you know, a lot of – this is maybe cynical, but a lot of mission-driven companies are that way because they can't afford to recruit through any other means, right? Like it's like – okay like we don't have these other things we do, we can't have 401k matching we can't have financial security and stability. we're a brand new startup but what we can do is get people who are like feel very passionate about something and are aligned with their mission especially when that comes to younger employees mm-hmm. who are maybe more optimistic and just not thinking as much about their like long-term sure. financial security like that's going to be immensely appealing right but then once you get into like uncertain economic waters the the balance tips like all the premises are the same but then the actual outcome and result is very different right Yeah,
2: you have to like relearn how to be selfish about something that like maybe you had the privilege of not being selfish about and I know like you know, maybe a separate story at some point is like, are we going to see the language of mission driven startups change when they're Mm. hiring? Are they going to be less salesy? Like I doubt it, but I do remember I talked to one like climate tech startup, like I think maybe a year ago now who said that he was like trying to get someone to come from like meta to this company and he was offering equity. And she was basically like, I, you know, believe in the mission, but I don't want equity in this company. I just want a good salary. Yeah. And it was just to me, I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, it was like kind of an inkling that people were going to start to be like, I buy into your pitch, but I'm not going to like bet my career on this company becoming a moonshot. This is obviously like, you know, less voluntary, the layoffs, but um, similar of like taking it to yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I think one of the outcomes of this will be that people reevaluate their compensation packages and what they need to use to eventually attract maybe people who are like twice burned shy, you know, like like Sam. So it's going to look different, the compensation packages that you have to offer. And I think that's a great example of that, of the equity versus cash. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. something we saw last year. I think we saw Shopify offer a slider like this. I think it's even a self-serve slider where you can just kind of like, Job candidates as they're going through can then adjust like Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This much stock based compensation versus cash or whatever. And I've definitely had I mean, I personally have had that conversation like when talking to startups, young companies that I was considering working mm-hmm. with, where they were like, Okay, well, we can offer you this salary and this much equity. And I was like, ooh, I don't like that. And they're like, oh, well, how about this much salary, but this much equity, yeah. right? And then it's like, oh, okay. So I think there has existed that flexibility, but it definitely changes depending on what's going on in the market and what people are looking for. And it and that has a material impact on what you're able to do as, as mm-hmm. a startup, as a hirer, right? Like if you're having to outlay a lot more cash up front, you're gonna have to hire a lot less and yeah. it's gonna look quite different, right?
2: Totally, like I think about, this like, maybe it's kind of old at this point, but like the idea of working two full-time jobs that Aaliyah is doing in this story yeah, and yeah. like over, being overemployed. And it's making me think a little bit about like someone who's overemployed working two full-time remote jobs without either company knowing. One is amazing. Love that. But right, two, yes. <laughs> two, like, you know, Aaliyah's not going to put in extra effort or maybe be as patient with getting that extra work on one of those jobs when she kind of just needs to be average, good enough to keep the job in order mm-hmm. to, to be, to get her idea. Outcome, which I think again, yeah, opens up a whole set of like, how does a company need to hire if productivity changes because people are less, you know, rose colored glasses about their full time jobs?
0: Yeah, I have to say, I really did like the Aaliyah section and the Aaliyah quotes. I think she's thinking about this like, honestly, in exactly the right way. Yeah, like it's this is (laughs) how everyone should think about employment, which. (laughs) It's maybe controversial for me to say, but yeah, it's just like...
2: Are. are you sure? We're on the record right now,
0: <laughs> I know. Everyone can hear this, <laughs> including all my employees. But it's the, they're going to do what they want, and I'm going to do what's mine. Like, that's exactly right. That's exactly the approach you should always have to any employment, yeah. right? It's like, they're trying to extract something from you, and you should, in turn, extract what is a fair exchange. And totally. that is all. That is all you should do.
2: That's it. And like, if you feel awkward about it, it's just like... Yeah. Society and weird work culture seeping its way into your brain. Like it's not, I I get why she's not like, Hey, let me tell you the two jobs I'm working and use my name in the story. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, this should definitely be something. There's there's the community. I think I have it in my story, but the community that she's a part of has almost 40,000 people. I'm sure more that are all kind of self-described as working at two remote jobs. So, I mean care for it
0: yeah the overemployed discord community you mentioned yeah but it's i mean it is great it, i think that's a promising trend i think i mean it has been taboo and the, i mean the, well at one point it was called moonlighting this i'm really dating myself oh, and it know, was I essentially like like, that
2: word once but it <laughs> ran away like i don't really know what it means
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it yeah it was very much like oh well, that's like super not okay and then eventually it became kind of like Oh, yeah, this is. Did you notice people are doing this? And like, Mm. people are doing it and getting away with it. And we're still kind of in that era of it. Yeah. But I feel like it might just evolve to the point where it's totally acceptable, which I think would be lovely, actually. I think. The biggest challenge to that would be sort of like competition issues, right? Like, I think that'll be the stickiest point of like, well, if you're doing a job for me and you're doing relatively the same job for somebody who is potentially a competitor or even a potential partner or something, right? Like in some way our businesses interact, like it gets really sticky.
2: I was just watching Molly's game and I was thinking about how like the lawyer at one point is like, don't break the law when you're breaking the law. And it's kind of like, you're playing, you're playing close to it. Don't, don't keep doing that you're going to exactly. mess up at some
0: point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it is like that. But I, I, I do think that like, if we should evolve to figuring out how that works yeah. successfully above, in a, in a aboveboard manner for everybody involved, because if people can do it and they're not, and they're willing to take it on and it's not affecting what their employers need from them, and it's not affecting, you know, their lives in any negative way, then absolutely. Like that's the way we should go. Right. I mean, maybe if we want to get like even more first principles, it's like, we should get to a place where the economy works well and pays everybody a fair living wage for their one job or whatever, but
2: (laughs) separate conversation Uh, new podcast idea. (laughs) No, but you're right. That's actually the reason Aliyah spoke to me was actually, she said that in the overemployed discord community, they're kind of anti talking about it out loud because they Mm. don't want things to be reversed back to them and things to get in trouble. So it's kind of like, if you know, you know, and she was like, I don't think it should be like that. I think more people should be considering it. So I mean, yeah, definitely food for thought.
0: Yeah. I mean, Overall, I think it's a super interesting article and I think it's a good look at, yeah, like a, some of the more subtle outcomes or some of the things that people maybe aren't necessarily paying as much attention to about what happens when you have these kinds of significant layoffs yeah. and not just to the top earners, but to everybody involved in the process, right?
2: Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully not more to come, but I have a feeling more to come on the topic. Yeah. So <laughs> I
0: uh, think so, unfortunately, but thanks again, Natasha. And can't wait to read more about it from you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out all the other TC podcasts, including Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. We'll be back next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.